Anonymous asks, if a hardcore socialist were to become president in the U.S., like Bernie Sanders or AOC, should people take any specific financial measures in response, like move from stocks into gold? So my first comment is I'm not going to give investing advice. Like, don't take this as expert advice or actually telling what you what you should do in terms of investing. Like an I am not a lawyer disclaimer. So these are just some general comments. My first comment is, this is about like a nightmare scenario. Like what if society is sort of collapsing and like completely fucked? In a nightmare scenario, gold will not solve your problem. It will not make your life okay. It might make it less bad, but it's not going to fix things. You're not going to be like, like suppose you don't invest in gold and you're in a terrible nightmare scenario. You're not going to be looking back and like, if only I'd invested in gold and I had a bit more money, I'd be like happy now, everything would be fine. You know, you're going to be like, this is still terrible. Even if you have more money, it'll still be terrible. Okay, second thing. Even if you invest in gold and a nightmare scenario happens, you might still get fucked. The government might tax the gold. They might confiscate the gold. They might outlaw gold. It also, it depends on how you invest. Because um, the, the more convenient way to invest in gold is you buy an exchange-traded fund and they invest in gold and they put it in bank vaults, possibly in multiple different cities. And they worry about security and blah, blah, blah. Um, and those, those exchange-traded funds are perfectly reasonable. But if society collapses too much, you might not be able to get your gold. Um, ex, you know, funds might not work out for you. That you have electronic ownership over via, like, Vanguard.com or something. On the other hand, you could get physical gold and you could try to store it, like, locally, somewhere you can actually get to it. But there are downsides to that. Um, buying gold you have to pay uh like a worse rate it's like currency exchange where the broker gets a good deal and you pay like a commission or a fee or whatever and then you have to like worry about uh holding it like it could get stolen it could get burned up in a fire you might have to pay for a safety deposit box but if you pay for a safety deposit box and things all go to hell the bank might just steal it you know if the government says hey we're outlawing gold we want to take all the gold the bank might look through all the safety deposit boxes and just take your gold. But if you're keeping it yourself, there's a risk of losing it, getting stolen, getting destroyed. And you could buy insurance on it. That costs extra money. And uh, in a nightmare scenario, you might lose it and the insurance doesn't pay out because they go out of business or whatever. So there's difficulties. The government already taxes gold extra. So... There's like a normal capital gains rate tax if you buy Walmart stock or Apple stock or something. And if it goes up and then you sell it, you make money, which is called capital gains. And there's a the standard tax rate on it, if you've held it for over a year, is 15%. However, gold is considered a collectible and, and rather than an investment. So if you hold your gold for over a year, and then you sell it at a profit, they're going to charge you, I believe, 28% tax instead of 15% tax, just because the government classifies gold in a more unfavorable way than they classify Apple stock. So they're already hostile to gold. They've been more hostile to gold in the past, and they may do that again in the future. Another thing is there's, there's a lot of stuff the government can do to fuck with the price of gold. It's not just based on uh, how much they inflate the currency. 
Like if all you want is a, a hedge against currency inflation, gold is not perfect. Um, I'm not sure exactly what's better or what else you should do, but there are problems with gold as a currency inflation hedge because the government can do things like make gold hostile laws that lower the price or value of gold, um, even though they're inflating the currency. That you know, And that's the kind of thing that goes together. Like the more the government inflates the currency, the more they make legal tender laws and try to force everyone to use their currency and get hostile to alternative currencies. So in the scenario where gold should be gaining the most value when they're printing the most money, you can actually expect laws to fuck with gold. So that's another problem. So overall, I'm not against gold. And there are other things sort of in the similar category. But I would recommend as uh, informal advice, not going like heavy into gold. Don't be just like, okay, stocks suck. I'm going to switch half my money to gold now. Um, if you think gold is a good idea, get a little bit and get it now, not only in a bad scenario where Bernie is president. Use it to help diversify because there's downsides to gold, but it is a different financial instrument. It can help you diversify. So I don't think it's like your savior in nightmare scenarios, but uh, in more moderate scenarios, it could help your investment portfolio a bit. Uh, other things about investing. So maybe a shitty next president is already priced into the price of gold. Maybe gold investors have already predicted that Bernie will win and they're already pricing that in. Or if they haven't done that yet, maybe before he's elected, he'll be priced in. You know, at some point before the actual election day, he gets priced in. Or if not that, maybe he gets priced in like an hour after he's elected. Um, and all the like, the experts, the gold traders, the professionals, um, price it in really, really quickly after the election before you manage to buy gold. Because you buy gold, you know, say eight hours after the election and they already priced it in like earlier in the day. Um, you don't want to be like racing against the professionals. They're going to beat you at speed to react to news. That's not where your uh, advantages lie. So doing it in like a reactive way to the news is, is hard and problematic. But if you want to do it on sort of general principles about the broad situation, uh, you can just buy a bit of gold now and diversify a little bit. Um, another pretty major issue is, well, this applies to me, and I'm pr it probably applies to you, but I don't know. Uh, for most people listening, at least, you aren't an expert on gold. So today, I just happened to see an article called Three Times the Price of Gold Collapsed and Lessons for Today from the Mises Institute. And the link will be in the podcast description. So this article talks about the history of gold in the US and uh, times the price went down and various things that happened with gold. And it's not, it doesn't even go into a lot of detail, but like it has plenty of stuff in it that I didn't already know. I, I don't know the history of gold prices and like what happened in what years in the US. Um, but if you don't know this kind of stuff, you're at a major disadvantage against gold investors who do know this kind of stuff. There are people who know a lot of shit about gold. So you should keep that in mind. There's there's a major risk there that there are cleverer, more knowledgeable investors who are 
going to do a better job with gold. Now, that's more of a problem if you're buying and selling like repeatedly and you're trying to like time the market and figure out when it's going to go up and down. If you just buy a little bit of gold and you just hold it long term, uh, it's not such a huge deal that you don't know a ton about it. Like that's okay. But if you're trying to be more actively involved in the market, like timing, like, oh, there's a bad president, now is the right time to buy gold. Um, the more you buy and sell and the more you worry about the details, the more of a problem it is that you don't know a ton about it. And this, this article by Brendan Brown, who I assume is some sort of expert, because it's on the Mises Institute and they curate their stuff, they only let certain people post. Oh, he is a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, which is an international monetary and financial economist, a consultant, author, and he's been head of research at Mitsubishi, Mitsubishi UFJ Financial Group, among other jobs. He's an associated scholar of the Mises Institute. His latest book is The Case Against 2% Inflation. And he is publisher of, quote, Monetary Scenarios, Euro Crash, How Asset Price Deflation Destroys the Wealth of Nations, and The Global Curse of the Federal Reserve, Manifesto for a Second Monetarist Revolution. Okay, so all of those qualifications sound semi-gold related. Like, they're not directly all about gold, but they're pretty related, like, you know, inflation is very related to gold. Monetary scenarios and like euro crashing, like, and the Federal Reserve and a monetarist revolution, like things about the money supply, money inflation, those are all pretty gold related. And he has, you know, yeah, pretty good credentials. So I think this guy knows stuff about gold. But nevertheless, when I read this article, I thought that there were actually confusions and flaws in the article. Um, I, th I thought there were some serious errors, or at least things that might be serious errors. And so in terms of are you an expert on gold, I would say that like this guy, it's questionable how much of an expert on gold he really is and how much he actually is getting the right answers. Like I would say you cannot trust this article. You have to be able to evaluate it yourself and think for yourself. I'll, I'll briefly point out one example of an issue I saw with the article that I didn't give a ton of thought to, but I thought there was an issue there. So he says that from 1934 to 1968, the, the gold price fell from $650 an ounce to $250 an ounce, and that both of those numbers are in US uh, $2018. So they're not in the, that's not the price that it was at the time in the dollars from that year that he's saying that's the price it would be in 2018 dollars. So it's like inflation adjusted, money supply adjusted dollars based on 2018 US purchasing power dollars. So he's trying to give historical gold prices in terms of uh, inflation adjusted today's dollars. Now, I find that kind of strange. I was recently reading uh, tweets by George Reisman. Reisman? Re I think it's Reisman. I used to mispronounce it and I found out what it was supposed to be, but then I, apparently I forgot. But yeah, I, I think it's George Reisman. Anyway, uh, so I consider him like the best living economist as far as I know. Uh, he was a student of Mises, 
and a student of Ayn Rand. And he wrote Capitalism, a Treatise on Economics, which is amazing. And he wrote some other stuff that's very, very good. And in general, he's significantly better than like random people from the Mises Institute. And he has certain disagreements with some of the like Mises thinking where I uh, know enough to have an opinion and I think he's right. So what he was tweeting about was uh, inflation and gold. He was talking about billionaires and he was saying that we think we're rich because now we have a bunch of billionaires and it, it seems like modern progress. But if you look at how rich they are in terms of gold, like how many ounces of gold is their fortune, uh, he compared to like two different old gold prices, a billion dollars today in terms of how many ounces of gold it buys is only worth, it was something like $17 million in 1925 or $25 million in 1935, something like that. Because there, uh, there were two different prices of gold. It was like an ounce of gold used to be $20 and then they changed it to $35 before they uh, stopped having a set price and they let it float. That's my rough understanding. So, so he compared to the old $20 an ounce price and the old $35 an ounce price. And it was something like 17 and 25 million. I probably have the numbers a bit off, is what a billion dollars is worth, given the, the current price of gold, which has gone up to something like $1,350 today. I think that's the ballpark. So you can see that the price of gold went up by like more than 20 times, which is a rough indication that the inflation has been so bad that if you used to have $20, now you have $5 or less. That's how much inflation there has been in less than 100 years, I think. Maybe it's quite a bit less, like maybe one of the relevant dates was around 1970 or something. So maybe it's like in the last 50 years. I don't know. If you don't know either, uh, then don't consider yourself an expert on gold. Anyway, so what Riesman was doing is he was saying gold is more or less the best measure of constant value. Um, so you look at how many dollars does it take to buy an ounce of gold, and now you know how much that dollar is worth. So he would say, you know, U.S. 2018 purchasing power, I think, is defined by it takes around $1,350 to buy an ounce of gold. And that's how you can compare it to different time periods is by looking at what the price of gold was in different time periods. This is not a perfect method, and I'm sure he knows that, because there are other things that affect the price of gold, like government laws related to it. And there are various other things. There's noise in the data as far as price of gold measures inflation. However, um, it's unclear what's a better measure. Like how else do you measure inflation? So this article is just assuming some other measure of inflation and then it's using it to judge the price of gold. Like instead of using gold to judge the value of the dollar, it's using it's somehow inflation adjusted US 2018 dollars to judge historic gold prices. And I find that strange for someone who's, uh, I would assume, like in favor of the gold standard and 
hates inflation and so on. So that seemed like a problem to me and like he didn't wasn't thinking through what he was doing. Oh, it's 1968 is when the U.S. stopped fixing the price of at uh, 35 U.S. dollars for an ounce of gold. So that is, yeah, that's 50 years ago. So since then, uh, the dollar has been inflated. So it to less, so it's worth less than 5% as much uh, in terms of gold price. So 1934 is when Roosevelt criminalized owning gold privately, which is the reason that the price of gold went down from 1934 to 1968 is because you weren't allowed to own it, according to this article. And that ban got lifted in 1974, apparently, in the US. Anyway, uh, there are various other details in the article that Again, it's an example of the kind of thing you would want to understand and be able to judge for yourself uh, before, before you think that you know much about investing in gold. So either accept you know very little about it and don't buy very much, um, or uh, learn a lot more about it so that you would be in a position to like, judge and comment on every claim in this article and, and some other articles as well. Again, I had one other thing I wanted to talk about. So it's hard to know what would happen with Bernie or AOC as president. Um, you know, how much would they actually act on their rhetoric? Trump said he was going to build a wall. Trump did not build a wall. Maybe Bernie is all bluster as well. Maybe Bernie wants to build a wall, but he won't be an effective president, like an effective politician who's actually able to get his agenda done. Um, so Obama is a Marxist and, a, and an Alinskyite. Obama was terrible, like really, really terrible. I don't think, a lot of people don't realize quite how anti-American and awful he was. But he was an extraordinarily bad president and he's done a huge amount of harm. But, and, and so I think it's totally unclear that Bernie would do more harm than Obama. Like maybe Bernie would be less good at getting his laws passed than Obama was. Bernie is seen as more of a radical than Obama. That would get in the way of him getting his shit done. And our society and our government have all sorts of mechanisms to make it hard to fuck them up. We have things that resist radical change and limit harm, or at least spread the harm out over time instead of like a sudden event where things just fall apart overnight. Um, in fact, we've had broad trends of various things getting fucked up for over 100 years in terms of the growth of government power, the rejection of classical liberalism and limited government, the government having a bigger budget and taxing more and having more laws and encroaching on freedom. All that stuff has been going on for more than 100 years. So I was just reading a book today, um, Man Versus the Welfare State by Henry Hazlitt. And he was talking about those trends and the book is from 1969. So he was talking about those trends, you know, 50 years ago. And they're, they're still going on and in lots of ways getting even worse. But it's been a very long-term ongoing process and I don't think Bernie is going to just dramatically change everything overnight. And uh, in Hazlitt's book, 
It's called Man versus the Welfare State. And the name is a play on a previous book, which is called Man versus the State. Or I guess it's The Man versus the State. That book is by Herbert Spencer, and it is from 1884. And what Hazlitt points out is a lot of the problems he's talking about were already happening in 1884. Um, Herbert Spencer talked about how they were already trends, and he was really worried about the future. In his 1884 book, um, Before the New Deal. Because a lot of people thought these problems basically started with the New Deal, and they blamed the New Deal. And they don't realize how bad things were before that. They thought, you know, 1884, that must be like the heyday of classical liberalism when there's like no regulation and everything was super capitalist. Um, but if you read Spencer's book, which I have not read yet, it tells you how uh, the same sort of complaints that capitalists make today could be made in 1884 um, about trends at the time where the government was getting bigger and raising taxes and establishing more regulations and more social programs and on and on. So, yeah, I'm interested in reading this book. But the point is that these problems have been going on for a long time. It's Bernie is not new or different or uh, much scarier than a lot of other things, I think. So there, there is a problem, but it's, it is, it's, you know, people could have predicted people could have predicted imminent catastrophe fifty years ago or more. Uh, certainly, when the New Deal happened, and possibly before that. And if they had done so, they would have been partially right, like things got fucked up in some ways, but mostly wrong. Things did not like collapse or totally fall apart. Like things have been getting gradually worse decade after decade. In some respects, there are other respects in which they've gotten better. Like we've made technological progress and, and that has helped some things. And uh, the maximum tax bracket in the US used to be like over 70%, uh, maybe more, I don't know, I'm not an expert. And it is now uh, under 50%, I think. Admittedly, they, spread, they split it up because people talk about like the federal income tax bracket. It's like, okay, but on top of that, you have to pay payroll taxes. And on top of that, you have to pay state taxes. And on top of that, you have to pay sales taxes. And on top of that, they have like taxes on gas, for example, which are built into the price and raise the price of gas. And some of those are like state or local government rather than federal. So when you add all the taxes together, it raises your effective tax rate for your life. However, just as far as federal income tax brackets, um, they used to be higher and they've gone down some. People realize that when you charge like really, really high percentages, people work less and they find ways to, you know, they drive a company car instead of getting paid and then buying their own car. Stuff like that to avoid the taxes. And you can try to enforce it and like not allow any loopholes, but it's hard and problematic. Anyway, so like some things have gotten better. I don't want to say it's all worse, but there, there are definitely major trends for over 100 years where we're getting less capitalists. And I don't think Bernie's like a, a major change that's going to be this big discontinuity. Like Obama was a bit of a major change. Um, and I don't think Bernie will be particularly worse. Um, there's also, there's a book I, did, I liked about Obama.
I'm trying to find it. I forgot the title. But I know it's by um, Pamela Geller and Robert Spencer. Richard Spencer? Let me check. I know that his name goes... It's Robert Spencer. Richard Spencer is the bad one that he gets mixed up with. Anyways, it's the Jihad Watch guy. And uh, Pamela Geller is uh, one of those... American Freedom Defense Initiative. I think that's her. Anyways, they both are associated with Front Page Magazine and the David Horowitz Freedom Center. And they wrote a book in... This is a while ago. Uh, 2010. So this is two years after Obama was president. And the book is called The Post-American Presidency, The Obama Administration's War on America. And I think that book has good information about how fucking bad Obama was, and that's only for like the first two years of his presidency. If you want to know more about how bad he is, um, I recommend... Uh, so I think that this is a good book, The Shadow Party, How George Soros, Hillary Clinton, and 60s Radicals Seize Control of the Democratic Party by David Horowitz. And then related to this, you want to go to Discover the Networks and you go to Individuals, and I, I will put these links in the description, and you go to Individuals, and then you go to type in George Soros. And uh, no, wait, that's not him. <laughs> I got mixed up because the book talks about Soros. Soros is important, but what I wanted to search for was Alinsky. Saul Alinsky. Soros and Alinsky are two of the most important names that don't get enough attention, especially Alinsky. Soros gets more attention. Soros is, is very evil and dangerous, and he's far more of a threat than Bernie. Um, so research him if you want to. But in particular, uh, the Alinsky stuff tells you so much about Hillary and Obama and how radical and nasty they are. And it, it makes me think that they could easily be a lot worse people than Bernie and more, more scary and dangerous. And also um, on the page for Bernie, on the top left under resources, there is a booklet by David Horowitz called Barack Obama's Rules for Revolution, the Alinsky Model. And I particularly recommend that. And there's a bunch more resources and there's a long article. And so Soros is a funder who has billions of dollars, a lot of which he got in uh, fighting with governments over currency stuff and investing. And so it's sort of related to the gold stuff we were talking about earlier in some ways. And anyways, Soros funds left-wing political activism uh, he funds open borders and environmentalism and um, trying to smear conservatives and so on and so forth. And he funds like biased media stuff to like stuff like the Southern Poverty Law Center and Media Matters. Uh, it's either, I forget if he funds Southern Poverty Law or not. He probably does. But uh, even if he doesn't, that's the type of thing he funds. Like he likes uh, things that try to pretend to be authoritative and uh, separate, like, disinterested, uh, objective groups that are actually, like, paid activists. It's very dangerous stuff, and the book is good, and the Discover the Networks page is good. Um, Alinsky, on the other hand, he's a philosopher of, like, Marxism, communism, radicalism. And he wrote a book called Rules for Radicals, and he talked about 
how to be effective. And he taught them like methods and tactics. And that is uh, two of his disciples are Obama and Hillary Clinton. And they learned from him a lot about how to operate and get shit done and gain power. And he taught them things like the issue is never the issue, which means the issue is always power. What will help the cause? What will help the revolution? What will get me more power to enact my agenda? So, you know, if the issue is abortion, what do you say about it? According to Alinsky's Rules for Radicals, you say whatever the fuck it is that will get you more power, authority, influence, etc. Like, it doesn't matter what side you take on abortion. What matters is that you gain power so that you can get control of the country and then you can do whatever the fuck you want and implement the revolution. So he's totally in favor of lying and having like pragmatic positions where you're just bending with the wind uh, to just pander to people in order to gain power because the goal is always the revolution. The current issue, abortion or monetary policy or anything else doesn't matter. Only the communist revolution matters. So you're only thinking long-term about that. That is that's some of the stuff he taught. So uh, if, if you read about some of these things, the Hazlitt book, the Spencer book, and about Soros and Alinsky and Rules for Radicals and the Shadow Party, if you read all of that stuff, it might put things in perspective. It might scare you more. It, you might be like, holy shit, this is way worse than I realized. Um, however, it might also give you some perspective on Bernie and make him look less threatening. And you know, this stuff is already going on. So wh whether it makes you more optimistic or more pessimistic, uh, I think it's good to try to have a more accurate view of what's happening.